Welcome to Drinks at Work from Boothby with Sam Bygrave. That's me. I've got a great episode for you today. My guest is someone with whom I love talking about drinks and whiskey and bars whenever I get the chance. I am, of course, talking about Simon McGoran. Simon is the regional sales manager for Atom Brands, but in the past, he's been a brand ambassador, a bar owner. Once upon a time, he was named New Zealand's bartender of the year. That was a while ago. And he has been a writer, working for a number of years at Australian Bartender Magazine as the editor. And then later on, when I was there, he was there as the drinks editor. He is the most knowledgeable cocktails and spirits person I know. I usually learn something new whenever I catch up with him, and I always have a good time. In this episode, we talk about unnamed whiskies, independent bottlings, and how the whole system works. We talk about that boutique whiskey company, teaspooning, blended whiskey, aged statements, floating rum distilleries in Queensland, the whole shebang. This episode is also sponsored by Atom Brands and that boutique whiskey company, which you can get your hands on through Proof and Company here in Australia. Now for the ad part, that boutique whiskey company is an award-winning independent bottler of distilleries from around the world. Simply put, they bottle whiskey from distilleries and slap their funky labels on the bottle. But if only it was that simple. It's not any old whiskey that makes it into their bottles. It's often a once in a lifetime tipple from some of the world's greatest distilleries. And while it's always been about bottling the best whiskies they can find, Boutique has also sought to do so with a serious dollop of fun along the way. Each bottle is adorned with a graphic novel style artwork from Glasgow based artist, Emily Chappell. It's a great chat with Simon ahead and the longest podcast I've done to date. Okay, let's get into it now. My chat with Simon McGrawn. All right, Simon McGrawn. Uh, welcome to Drinks at Work from Boothby. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Uh, so you've been, you've been like a bartender, a bar owner, a brand ambassador. You're now in, in you know, sales, more of a sales kind of role, a writer, all that sort of stuff. Uh, you've had a quite a number of jobs in the, in the industry. What is there left for you to do you now? <laughs> Man, you I gonna don't know. be a distiller anytime soon. Look, I, I would love <laughs> love to own a distillery. I, I love whiskey, right? Yeah. And I, I just absolutely love to um, own a distillery. I just don't know if I'm that patient. <laughs> no, that's that's the thing. There are so many people out there making good whiskey. Do they really need me to do that? It might take um, a while, yeah. Yeah, and look, I, I it is a really cool role I have at the moment. Um, if you'd asked me years ago. If I was ever to go into sales, I would have thought, nah, you're dreaming. Yeah. I know I'd loved advocacy. I love being in front of people. I loved service, love, you know, having neighborhood in Bondi and Henrietta Supper Club. Those were some wild days. Oh, good times. Yeah. So being in a commercial role is very different. It's been a real learning curve. I've learned a lot about export throughout Asia Pacific. Yeah. It's, it's a really unique role that I have. Because you're the regional sales manager for yeah. Asia Pac. That's correct. Right? Yeah. So that involves me, you know, traveling, you know, uh, a few weeks a year around Asia, visiting all my customers and uh, just trying to understand those markets better and understand what cultural differences might be there and, you know, what's going to sell whiskey and um, boutique whiskey, you know, our sort of flagship brand is a pretty eclectic brand, right? It's it's a no small it's kind batch. Kind of boutique, right? That's yeah. right. Kind of boutique. <laughs> All small batch limited edition stuff with weird labels, yeah. graphic novel style artwork. Um, it's it, you have to be creative about how you sell it and or just find the whiskey nerds and geeks yeah. out there that are going to gravitate towards this product. Yeah. Uh, what are we what are we drinking here? You just poured So something. I poured you a rather generous pour. Thank you. So I might as well be heavy hand there. Cheers. <laughs> uh, this is our boutique world whiskey blend. Right. So the idea behind this is we really wanted to celebrate how the world drinks whiskey. Yeah. And I think 
what a lot of us forget, especially when you're whiskey nerd, is that we've always got like whiskey in a little tasting glass like this. <laughs> We're drinking some single cask, single malt, yeah. you know, from a distillery in Finland or whatever <laughs> um, that's, you know, smoked with sheep dung. But yeah. the majority of what people drink around the world is still blended whiskey, yeah. and predominantly blended scotch. Yeah. That means they drink it mixed as well, right? right. So they'll have it in highballs or if you're in South America, you might have it with coconut water. Yeah. Um, you might have it with Coca-Cola if you're in Australia, right? Or ginger ale in Canada. So we wanted to create something that uh, would be really mixable um, yeah. and it's truly representative of what the world drinks. So we've included craft, craft distilleries from around the world. Okay. So it's a bit of a collaboration, this project. Yeah. But yeah, let's give it a crack. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. Tastes like good whiskey. That's right. Uh, this blended whiskey, most people drinking that, that's something that you've been writing about for a long time. I reckon I read you in Bartender Mag back in the day before I was there when yeah. you were the editor. Yeah. Um, how did you get into the writing side of things when you were younger in your career? Uh, well, it's, it's interesting, right? I, um, I did an arts degree at uni, um, yeah. so I always like, had a, a passion for, for writing and that sort of thing. I wasn't a trained journalist. Yeah. Uh, but I was. I could tell. But, thanks, mate. Thanks. <laughs> no, kidding. No, I, was, I was working as a bartender in New Zealand. I started winning a few awards. And uh, you bartend- were New Zealand bartender. I of the was, year at one yeah. Point, right? That's right. Yeah. So um, Australian Bartender Magazine had a New Zealand edition. Yeah. I won New Zealand Bartender of the Year. The first year they did like a proper competition. And they wanted someone on the ground in New Zealand, I guess, to contribute to the magazine. Mm. And so that's how I got got roped in. And um, I eventually, uh, you know, met someone at a cocktail comp and decided to move over to Australia to be with her. She didn't work out, but Australia (laughs) did. Uh, And about six months after moving over here, um, ended up working full time uh, at Bartender Magazine and, and took over as editor for a number of years, Mm. um, contributing editor and drinks editor for a few years after that. Yeah. did freelance writing, wrote for Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. Um, yeah, yeah did, did a, a few different bits and pieces. Uh, why, why, what made you give up the, the journalism part? Because you gave up journalism to go into probably the only thing that's going to pay you less, which is owning a bar. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> man, like, yeah, yeah, good point. Um, look, journalism's hard graft, as you know. It's mm. hard work making money. And I was writing, I guess, during the GFC yeah. in particular, and it was a real transition from print media into online. Yeah. So it was a real sort of difficult phase, I guess. Mm. Um, and I just got sick of writing 101 stuff. So I kept on getting asked to write the same, can you write whiskey 101, gin yeah. 101, vodka 101? And it, it, it just also becomes hard to be really creative if you're time poor. So I opened Neighbourhood and Bondi um, yeah. with, with a few mates back in 2013, August 2013. Yeah. So it's 10 years old now. And, uh, yeah, I just found, cool, I've got half a day on a Wednesday to sit down and write. And when you're not using that muscle all the time, just trying to switch it on. Yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy. Yeah. And I just wasn't um, wasn't giving enough to the writing to justify keep on doing it. Yeah. So I decided to can that and focus on the venues. Yeah. Uh, what was the hardest? What was actually, let me ask you about the positives first. What was the best thing about owning a bar, being a bar ownership? Look, I, I loved it. I loved owning a bar. It was yeah. so much fun. 
Um, they had an absolute blast down in the neighborhood of Bondi. Henrietta Sub Club. There was some. They were good fun venues, right? They were great yeah. fun venues, and you know, Henrietta was a little bit dangerous late at night. That's right. <laughs> I'd like to say to some of the most memorable years of my life, but I don't remember a lot of it. Um, no, in all seriousness, it was a lot of fun. It was a big learning curve. Um, I haven't been put off opening another venue. I, I'd, if I had the luxury of plenty of cash, I'd certainly consider it again. Yeah. Uh, but it is, a, as you said, a hard way to to make money. There are lots of better ways to make money. <laughs> uh, it's nice having a job and, and having mm. someone pay you and not having that that pressure. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean I wouldn't be up for that sort of um, you know, challenge again. But yeah. uh, it would be, you know, it would have to be the, the right spot, the right concept, you know. Yeah. We'll see. What do you, what do you think is the, the best right reason to go into bar ownership? What, what should your sort of mindset be looking at? Well, I mean, I think there's a couple of- Because it's not for everyone, right? It's, it's not for everyone. Yeah. That's right. And I, I was doing it very much for the love, not for the money. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad reason to go into it as long as you're realistic about the fact that it might mm. be real hard graft to make money. Yeah. Um, in an ideal world, you can have a bit of both. You've got a sensible business plan. You've got plenty of backing and you've got someone, uh, one of your business partners yeah. that is really financially savvy. That yeah. is that is key, having someone with that uh, that sort of skill set. And that's not my strong suit. Yeah. That's something I've picked up more in recent years in this role with Adam Brands. Yeah. So, so tell me about Adam Brands. Who, who is it behind Adam Brands? Because there's a few different brands underneath yeah, that sort yeah. of company. So, yeah. Look, Adam Brands is the sister company of Master of Malt, which you might have heard of. Yeah. So that's uh, how everyone was getting their whiskey about 10 years ago, right? That, well, that's <laughs> right. I mean, Master Mold actually goes back to 1985. So it right. used to be a mail order right. like, uh, whiskey service. So you'd actually send them money or check in the post. Yeah. Uh, and then you'd have to trust that you'd actually then get your whiskey back a couple of weeks later that wow. sent it to you. Um, and then in the 2000s at uh, transition, there were early adopters um, of technology, I guess, mm. and started um, becoming an e-commerce platform. But it yeah. was like a real, you know, analog bricks and mortar thing at one yeah. point. But uh, in early 2000s, a few, um, uh, you know, school friends, uh, Justin, our founder, Ben and Tom McGuinness, uh, joined forces and created a master of malt. He convinced them all to come to Kent and start working out of a shed um, selling whiskey online, which is a very newfangled thing and back was, in 2007. Was that? Justin? So Justin Petzaft, I can yeah. never say his last name. Petzaft. Not good, um, not good for job security. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Al, Al, Alfson and Tom McGuinness. So there were three um, yeah. mates that um, got together and founded um, the modern day iteration of Master of Malt. Yeah. Um, and then from that, uh, Adam Brands was created when we started making our own brands. Mm. Um, you know, things like bathtub gin, uh, rum bullion, yeah. um, drinks by the dram. So you might have seen those yeah. booze filled advent calendars. That, that was us as well. Yeah. <clears throat> and then uh, back in 2012, we started that boutique whiskey company. We'd always been bottling whiskey uh, as part of Master of Malt. So there were earlier okay. Master of Malt independent bottlings that you could buy. Right. Uh, but Boutique was our first kind of step into a very different and very real independent bottling brand. Yeah, right. So what is, I mean, there's a bar in Melbourne that kind of focuses exclusively on independent bottlings, the Elysian Whiskey Bar. Yeah. But it's not a very common kind of um a thing that a lot of people understand, I guess the broader drink, drinking public doesn't really get it. What is an independent bottler? Yeah, look, look independent bottlers- They've been around for a while. They have been around for a while, yeah. I mean, you've got people like 
um, you know, William Cadenhead from, you know, 1848, got my dates right. <laughs> Gordon McPhail as well from the 19th century. There's been people doing it for a long time. Well, some big um, brands have been built that way, right? Big brands have been built that way. I mean, there, there are distilleries like Port Allen, Barora, Mortlock, Diageo distilleries yeah. that no one had ever heard of or would, <laughs> and still probably wouldn't know to this day if it wasn't for independent bottlers. Right. So independent bottlers would buy casks of whiskey off distilleries, off private owners or off brokers. Yeah. And then effectively, or at its most basic, they just put their own label on the, they bottle that whiskey, put their own label on the bottle. Mm. But it's not that simple. Right. So uh, if we have a look at the world of Scotch whiskey, as I mentioned before, the majority of whiskey that's being consumed, especially with Scotch, is blended Scotch whiskey. Yeah. Now, to fulfill the needs of the blenders, millions of casts each year are just um, put out into fillings which means that they're not really concerned about what sort of cask it goes into. Those casks are just bold, uh, no, bought, sold, and, and traded between different blenders right. to create the flavor profile they need to do. So you might go, cool, I need X amount of 10-year-old Speyside from a refill hogshead. This is the flavor profile I want. You yeah. just buy that off a broker. and you're, and you're, Or if you're a distillery, you might trade with a broker or another distillery to get the malt that you need to create your blend. So there's this long history of... Yeah. Whiskey changing hands. And the independent bottlers stepped in and they found the real gems from those fillings. Right. So a lot of them are, uh, are rubbish. Trying to find a really good cask is actually quite hard. It's a bit like trying to find a needle in a haystack. <laughs> so not all casks of whiskey are equal. We know this, right? Every yeah. cask is different. So, so are they going to the distilleries to do this? Finding the thing, or is it no? So the cast are held somewhere else. So we 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 buy off a few different people. So we buy right. off whiskey brokers, and yeah. brokers will um, you know buy straight from distilleries, or they'll trade with other brokers. Yeah, we buy from private owners, uh, and then we uh, also will you know, will buy directly from uh, distilleries every now every now and then. Right. But uh, no, we we do. For example, we'll buy whiskey off Diageo, for example. Mm. But when we first started, like we we're a tiny little company, some of our first outturns for Boutique would have been 60, 70 bottles. Diageo weren't interested in talking to us. All oh, right. So it, now that we're more established, yeah, we've got contracts and we'll buy off some of the big guys yeah. directly from the distilleries. But a lot of the time we just buy off brokers. How do they know exactly that that whiskey exactly came from a particular place? Is there some sort of verification yeah, system so in place the, or is it just the, so people the, that you the, trust? The HRMC, so I mean, if we've got that acronym right, but the <laughs> uh, the customs, UK oh, customs right, okay. keep a really tight control yeah. and track uh, no, where casts are set. Because there's got to be tax. Because there's got to be tax at some right, point. Okay. And it's not tax until it's brought out of bond. So since there's tax involved, there's very strict regulations of for, no, for the movement of casks. And you've got to be very clear about sort of the chain of, of custody of that or ownership of that cask. Right. So you can actually go verify that something is what it is. Yeah. Um, and look, obviously, bookkeeping's not always been great. So <laughs> there are- there Well, there's are, incentives to, you know, for it not to be great. Well, I mean, look, during- <laughs> If tax is being paid. That's right. And during during the 80s and 90s, like it was a big downturn in Scotch whiskey. So there yeah. was a bit of dodgy bookkeeping going at some point. A lot of the distilleries have changed hands during the 90s and, and early 2000s as, yeah. as Pernod Ricard have acquired distilleries or, you know, Edderington Group have acquired distilleries. Mm. Um, and, and, and so you know, they might not necessarily have the full record. So, they, they, for example, there will be casts of Macallan out there that um, Macallan will deny that they know anything about them. 
because they, we don't have that in our records. Right. Okay. So, but you can send, for example, <laughs> you can send liquid to McAllen and get them to lab test it, and they'll go, yes, no, this is likely McAllen. It bears all the hallmarks. It bears all the hallmarks. Right, but okay. man, it's really hard. It's really hard because <laughs> obviously, like, no fakes in the whiskey industry are an, are an issue. Too. Yeah. Right. What's when it comes to the the range that you've got now? Is there anything that sort of what has it like the most kind of dodgy backstory there? Then you got it. Because you can oh. sometimes you can call things the product of a distillery, but sometimes you don't. Dodgy yeah. is probably not the right word, but uh, you know. So obviously, um, and this has been going on for a long time. Sometimes um, distilleries will sell whiskey to fillings, but they don't want you to name that whiskey. Right. So that happens a lot of the time uh, with independent bottlers. As we'll get an unnamed Speyside or an unnamed Isla. So we're not allowed to name the distillery. We can probably taste it and go, well, this is obviously this distillery. We know that. Yeah. But if we're not allowed to name it, we're not allowed to put that name on the bottle. We're not allowed to promote that whiskey as being from the distillery we think it is. Sure. And the reason why a brand might do it or a distillery might do that or the brand owners at the distillery might do that is they're trying to protect their own brand. Yeah. So William Grant's and yeah. Sons are, are famous for this, in fact. Yeah, okay. So if you, you speak to Ross Blaney, good chap, yeah. Uh, no, Belvini and Glenfiddich, they never sell casks of Belvini and Glenfiddich, which is technically true. <laughs> they sell lots of blended Glenfiddich and Belvini to brokers and blenders. Right, okay. And this is what uh, it's called in the industry, teaspooned whiskey. Yeah. So if we add a dash of Belvini, supposedly, to Glenfiddich, it becomes what's known in the trade as Wardhead. So for all intents and purposes, this blended malt whiskey Tastes like Glenfiddich, yeah. which is useful for blenders. Yeah. But we're not allowed to name it Glenfiddich. But okay. it is Glenfiddich, but it's not. But it's not the product of a single distillery anymore. Correct. Right. Yeah. So because you've so only it's got like those, a battered malt. Technically. That's right. Because yeah. you've only got those five categories in Scotch whiskey. As soon as you had a dash of something else, you no longer call it single malt. Therefore, yeah. I cannot say that that is that is yeah, Glenfiddich. Right. So and and that William Grants and Sons really pioneered that during the eighties because they were trying to protect their brand. Yeah. Um, other people that do it are uh, Glenmorangie, Lafroy, quite a number of distilleries do that where they don't want people to use their brand names. The advantage is as an independent bottler is we get good juice. Yeah. And it often is cheaper. Right. If if it's not nameable, um, and it's just you've of just got to like trust, I guess, that um, the consumers or the venues yeah. are just going to judge the quality of the product on what's inside the bottle, yeah. not on the name outside. I've heard with the boutique stuff, sometimes there's maybe clues to what the distillery might be on the label in terms of the graphics you use. Yeah, we get a bit cheeky. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, all our artwork is done by an artist called Emily Chapel. Yeah. Uh, she's a Glaswegian based artist. She's been working with us since day dot. She's done over 300 different labels for us now. Yeah. Uh, across American whiskeys, European whiskeys, Australian whiskeys. So she's been, she's quite prolific. And yeah, each of our labels will tell a bit of a story about the distillery. So I've got here a bottle of Tennessee rye. Yeah. And uh, we're not allowed to say what distillery it's from, but there is a waterfall cascading down into a hollow. Okay. And it's from Tennessee. Might okay. be the name of a Tennessee distillery. I can't give you more clues than that, Sam. Uh, <laughs> I don't know shit about but, Tennessee you know, whiskey. <laughs> that's just supposed, supposedly. But yes, it'll be clues. There'll be clues on the label. Not all the time. Sometimes okay. it's just a bit of an industry in-joke. Yeah. When we can name the distillery, we might include lots of information about the so this is Amerika French whiskey. Okay. So we've got this uh, Amerika's or it's from Brittany, right? And that's where Asterix and Obelix is from. 
So that's why we got here like a little druid and he's got a cauldron. <laughs> so there's, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Very so good. there's a few little clues on the label um, <laughs> that might just tell a bit of a story about the whiskey. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we have always been about trying to bottle the best whiskey that we can find. That's mm. always the most important thing. Um, and often, who, yeah. Sorry. And who, who goes to do that? Like, is it is there one person in the company's like, job it is to go find these cars? So do they have like a guy who's like, hey, I've got. I've got a really good deal for you on this scene. You want to come check this out? Like a Provador yeah. might. So like, we've got, with Master of Mold, we've got relationships going back decades yeah. in the industry. Right. And that's really important. It's a lot of it's built on relationships. We've had a couple of great cast buyers, uh, Toby Cutler, Felix Deer, and our head of whiskey, Sam Simmons, uh, is really key for helping us you know, find these amazing liquids. Dave Worthington, our global ambassador, often gets people ring him up and go, oh, look, I've got this cask. You know, I've got this lead on. So we get leads like that as well. We get people reaching out to us yep. about casts of whiskey or that they want to be involved with Boutique, mm. which is really, really cool. Uh, and that's happening more and more. Um, but, but yeah, it's the, the main thing is, is that the whiskey has to be delicious. And if it's delicious, we'll put it in the bottle, even if it's weird, <laughs> even if it tastes nothing like an official bottling from that distillery. That's, and that can that's happen, right? Oh, yeah. It happens all the time. Yeah. Happens all the time. It's like we get just like, this is, we want people to like pick up a glass of boutique and go, what the hell am I drinking? <laughs> uh, you know, we want it to be different. Well, there's a sense of like delight and, and surprise there, right? 100%. Which and sometimes isn't always the case with yeah. whiskey. It's a little bit serious and a little yeah. bit, you know, hoity toity. Oh, I see that you're out. Yeah. So, well, any oh. surprise there? Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, this is the Tennessee one? Yeah. So, this is a five year old Tennessee rye. Do you guys make a big deal on age statements? So when we, funnily you asked that, when we first launched back in 2012, um, we obviously, we have these 500 mil bottles. We've got these crazy labels. Yeah. We wanted to really break from convention. Yeah. And we wanted, it's all about what's inside the bottle. So we uh, didn't put age statements on at all when yeah. we started. But then people are paying a couple of hundred pounds for something with no age statement. They go, why am I paying so much? Mm. We did cave and we do include age statements yeah. on our whiskeys now. So we do do some non-age statement stuff, like the World Whiskey Blend is a non-age statement. Mm. But yeah, generally we do put age statements now. Do you think the age statement thing in whiskey generally more broadly? Um, cheers. Cheers. By the way. I mean, this is riveting audio content, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Mm. All I'm going to say is it tastes really good. Um, <laughs> do you think more broadly, because there was a big trend towards non-age statements happening a few years back, is that going to continue or is it, has it sort of started to yeah, peter out a bit? I think non-age statements will continue, uh, but especially with um, your larger commercial brands. Right. So not all Scotch whiskey distilleries, for example, have a well-known brand behind them. And a lot of what we bottle as an independent bottler might be um, from distilleries that mostly go into blends like Del Ewan or Ben right. Rennes or um, And this you know, is stuff that, yeah, they're, so they don't really have their own brand at they all. They don't really have yeah. their own brand or well-established brands. Right. Um, and so we see, you'll see a lot of that independent bottlers. But the more established brands, like your Taliskas of the world, um, for example, they will do a lot of non-age statement stuff because there's so much demand for their stock right. that they have kind of been forced to release, um, you know, younger stuff. Yeah. And um, then the problem here is that they've been telling everyone forever that, you know, if you get 12 year or you're 16 or 20, yeah. the higher the thing, 
I know it doesn't necessarily equate to equality, but they've been kind of implying that for a long time. Well, they've been and trying now to get, they're like, yeah. well, actually, no, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, they've been trying to get people trade up and then they go, oh, no, well, this is a flavor-led release. Yeah, okay. But look, you know, there are other people sort of bucking the trend as well. I think Ardbeg did that wee beastie. So they had a yeah. five-year-old. I thought that was great. They yeah. put five-year-old on the bottle yeah. and it's great whiskey. And like at Boutique, we're very much of the opinion that whiskey is created on the still. Like if you've got a great spirit, it's great at, at any age. Yeah. Um, obviously, we love matured stock, and we've bottled some, you know, some really old stuff. What's the oldest? Yeah. Oh, I think we've done a fifty-two-year-old grain. We've had some fifty, fifty, uh, fifty-two-year-old old spirit drink. Right. We just recently um, for our old uh, spirit drink. Old spirit drink. So it's <laughs> if something drops below, if a Scotch whiskey drops below forty percent, you can no longer call it Scotch. Right. So it becomes a spirit drink. Yeah. So we've actually bottled a. It's called Old Al the Boutique's Old Alfreds. It's a fifty-two-year-old spirit drink. So right. it was Scotch, and we call it too late bottled vintage because <laughs> if it drops below forty percent, you, like you can no longer call it Scotch. Yeah, too late bottled but vintage. But I mean, good. something that of of that age, even though it's got that lower ABV. You're gonna, it's going to be lacking a bit on the palate, but the nose is going to be incredible. How right. often do you get a drink of 52-year-old spirit? Oh, I haven't done it before. Can't call it scotch. Yeah. yeah. But we've also just recently bottled a 50-year-old uh, Speyside from a distillery. I can't tell. It's Glen Far. I can't finish that sentence. <laughs> uh, but a 50-year-old Speyside. It matured in sherry barrels or something? Yes. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was for our um, 10th anniversary uh, releases. Yeah. So I think we got like one case of that come to Australia. So right. that's on pour at the Elysian at the moment. So, okay. Get down yeah. to the, see Yao and Kelvin at the Elysian right. if you want some that's of that. That's it. Um, Number seven bar at, uh, in, in Boothby's. Boothby, uh, yeah, the Boothby Best Bars in yeah. Victoria. Congratulations to them. Uh, that's tasty. Yeah, yeah. So five-year-old Tennessee rye. From an unnamed Tennessee distillery. Yeah. It's not Jack Daniels. Yeah. Doesn't smell like Jack Daniels. It's not Jack Daniels. Yeah. So that, uh, that narrows it down somewhat. What's cool about this is that it's uh, from a vatting of a Oloroso Sherry Octave and a PX Octave. Okay. So just 64 litre hand coopered sherry casts made for us in Jerez in Spain. So the legit sherry casts. Yeah. Um, but just really, because uh, they're so small, you just get into, they're really great for finishing. So getting in there. Intense sherry punch. You don't see a lot of American whiskey finished in sherry. Did you did you finish it in sherry? Or, yeah. We did, yeah. Yeah. That was, so that you was had us. it beforehand, right. So okay. I mean that's so that's another that's advantage cool. of an independent bottler. Independent bottlers were the ones that really sort of led the uh no led the um cast finishing yeah. trend, I guess. They were the first to really start actually messing around with casts and being a little bit more experimental because they could afford to do that. Right. Um you no, know, when people were mostly drinking blended scotch at the end of the um, 19th century and during the 20th century, if you wanted a single malt, your best bet was to go to an independent bottler. They are the okay. ones that kind of you know, fed that consumer demand for single malt. It was right. mostly the independent bottlers. You could get the odd distillery release, mm -hmm. uh, but it was mostly independent bottlers that were you know, driving that um, that demand for the single malt. Mm. Um, when it came to, because you did an Australian, we've done two Australian series now, is oh. that right? Um, when it came to sourcing the whiskies from the distilleries for that, was the process different at all or how did it go about? What, what did the Australian distilleries feel about being involved in a project like that? Well, they were all really pumped. We didn't force anyone into being involved, oh, if yeah, that's the question. <laughs> so we, we'd done, we'd previously done- I didn't done, think you were visiting distillery yeah. doors with a crowbar, yeah. We'd previously <laughs> done, uh, like a few years back, um, two batches of, small batches of overing story. Right. 
uh, from from Tassie. Um, and then back in 2019, before COVID, we actually yeah. had our cast by Felix Deer come over to Australia. He went to the Oak Barrel in Sydney, uh, to the Oak Barrel Whiskey Fair, and actually met a whole lot of distillers mm. at that and ended up driving with one of the exhibitors uh, from Oak Barrel Whiskey Fair five and a half hours out to Dubbo no way. to go to Blackgate Distillery. Yeah. So uh, he got taken out there by Brian and Janice in, the, in their car. And uh, then they got him on a regional flight down to Tassie so he could make all his other appointments down there. <laughs> but Felix actually came out, cast by, came out to Australia, visited all those distilleries yeah. uh, that were included in our first series and just made a whole lot of um, contacts off the back of that. It was a really successful series. Um, and mm. off the back of that, we had a lot of distilleries in Australia reach out and go, I'd love to be involved. Um, I guess one of the great things about Boutique um, as an independent bottler is we don't just focus on Scotch whiskey. Yeah. A lot of the more traditional um, independent bottlers are very Scotch-centric. We still bottle a lot of Scotch, don't get me wrong. That's our bread and butter. <laughs> but we like to sort of keep our finger on the pulse of what's happening in the world of right. whiskey, okay. especially craft distillers from right around the world. <clears throat> so we really pride ourselves in that. Um, often you'll try a release. It might be an 11-month-old milk and honey from Israel. Yeah, okay, um, And yeah. that'll be the first time that whiskey's seen outside of that country. Um, things like Alsburn from the uh, Harz Mountains in Germany. Right. Uh, or Terran Pally from Finland or Ferry Lock Ann, uh, no, Obviously. Danish whiskey. So we, we, <laughs> all, all very well-known yeah, whiskeys that I'm exactly. aware of. Yeah. So there's a big, like, the, the craft distilling movement <laughs> is cool. unique to Australia. It's yeah. happening right across Europe. Yeah. right across the US, yeah, and we're just really keen to be involved in that. And if we can showcase um, those whiskies and give them, I guess, an international platform before they're at that stage where they can export, then we will we'll try and do so. Yeah, because it's a different kind of process rather than it being a byproduct of the trading between distilleries over in Scotland. Exactly. Right? That doesn't the blended whiskey thing is not a thing here. It's it's not exactly. It's it's going to become a thing, yeah. and I think it's key for Australian whiskey to go down that route. And we're starting yeah. to see it happen, but that's okay. a discussion for another day. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, for all our world whiskies, we do um, work directly with the distilleries. Yeah. So they will send us um, samples of what casks they think they'd like to be included. We'll select our favorite cask sample, yeah. and then we also work with them on helping create the label as well. So um, our Return to Oz series, as we're calling it, um, it's got a little yellow brick road sort of banner across Very the models nice, as yeah. well. We had to have that Oz uh, <laughs> reference. Um, yeah, we've got some amazing- Wizard of Oz for anyone who's you know younger than that's us. That's it. <laughs> we've got some amazing distilleries that are involved in that series. Uh, we've got Overing is back in there, which is cool. Uh, Gospel, mm. which is fantastic. We've got some Sullivan's Cove brandy. Nice. Um, we've got a few uh, delicious rums as well. We've got Mount Uncle rum. There's a unnamed Queensland rum on there, which actually features me on the bottle. The first time I've been on the bottle. Oh, really? You're on a yeah, bottle? Yeah, finally. Oh. Um, yeah, we've got some. Well, how big is this unnamed Queensland distillery? Uh, it's not the biggest. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I'd come If you that. want to get really, really nerdy, the <laughs> label it's, features it's, the SS Walrus. Okay. I'm not sure if you know the story of SS Walrus. I SS Walrus was a floating uh, rum distillery that used to travel up and down the estuaries in no. Queensland to, between sugar, can, sugar cane plantations yeah. and distill rum. So it actually predates. Bundaberg, for example. Yeah, right. Uh, and uh, this might be, although I'm not allowed to name it, from the <laughs> oldest licensed rum distillery in Queensland. Okay. 
All right, well, uh, I'll Google that later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> SS Walrus, huh? That's very cool. Yeah. I've never heard that story before. It's a really cool story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, you're, if you're a rum nerd, the rum, Australian rum nerds will get it. Yeah. Um, I've got some... Um, We've got some line burners from WA. Yeah. We have really tried to go right around the country. We've got some Riverborn uh, from New South Wales, uh, some Flurio from South Australia. Well, how does got? this stuff go overseas to the other markets? Look, is, it, it, is there a lot of it getting sold overseas or is it? Yeah. yeah. So we're probably uh, each series, we probably had, had about a third of it come back to Australia, Yeah. which is, it's not an efficient way to do things. <laughs> uh, but part of the reason why people want to be involved is to give them some exposure in the UK and Europe. So we sell yeah. it obviously on Master of Malt. We sell it to the trade in the UK. And, and they're then, mostly happy to have their name on there then, I'm assuming. Yeah. Because it's yeah, yeah. marketing, yeah. Exactly. And then we also sell it around Europe. So we've got various partners we work with around Europe. Yeah. Um, some of it's made its way out to Taiwan, Japan as well, to yeah. our export markets, which is really cool. So, uh, you know, speaking to my Japanese and Taiwanese customers, going, no, nah, no, nah, we can't sell this Australian whiskey. It's never going to work. And <laughs> that's first series. Second series have actually come back and said, oh, you know what? We'll take some. Right, so that's okay. really positive to see. For example, you know, we're going to have some Korowa whiskey as well from New South Whiskies on sale in Japan. Isn't that cool? That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And if, I mean, I'm not sure if they have plans to go to Japan anytime soon, but yeah. people would have heard of it now. Which is yeah. Cool. Um, not the only whiskey brands that you do under Adam Brands, though. Is that right? What else have you got? That's correct. Yeah. So apart from Boutique Whiskey, we've got a couple of other brands. Yeah. Um, we might even grab down a couple of bottles and- Cracking at some of those. That, got, that works for me. Got some open bottles over here too. <laughs> you you come with a, uh, a veritable um, uh, pleasure chest of whiskeys. <laughs> well, look, I mean, I think that's the thing. And it's why- the, you gotta, uh, you, There's definitely a lot of variety in your sales role, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, that's why it's such a cool company to work for is that we're really, um, we're really quite prolific in our yeah. bottling, which is really cool. Well, um, I guess that suits someone like yourself because you're, you know, you're quite a curious kind of guy and yep. you'd like to- across lots of different topics of information and, and knowledge and I guess that gives you more things to play with and more things to learn. Oh look absolutely yeah. and it's 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 been a lot of fun uh, working for Adam Brands and I've got to learn a lot. I've learned more about whiskey over the past four and a half years and I did you know working for Sweden, Chile and, and Diageo for years. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot there. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. I've been able to really sort of extend my knowledge because as an independent bottler we and we don't just look at scotch we look at the world of whiskey and it's it's a it's a wonderful wonderful world of stuff out there. Well, what's what's the given the kind of the the global scale of the of the brands? What's the most exciting whiskey market at the moment? Or distillery scene? Because there's like you were saying, like the craft thing is happening everywhere now. I've tried. And how different can these places be when they're still making the same sort of stuff? Well, I mean, this is the thing. We we've got a, um, a release uh, coming out in the UK at the end of the year called World of Smoke. So we're looking at um, smoky whiskey from all around the world. So yeah. not just peated whiskey from Scotland. We're looking at different ways of smoking whiskey. And so you're looking at like beechwood smoked barley. Um, you're looking at peated casks. There's a nettle smoked whiskey from Ferry Lock Ann. Oh, wow. Uh, like there's some crazy ways that people have introduced um, smoke. Yeah. Uh, and one of the um, most impressive whiskeys in that lineup is um, called um, Emperor's Way. Okay. And it's uh, from the producers of Alsburn in Germany. And this is a peated German single malt that's been aged in a uh, Japanese Mizunura cask. Cool. It's wow. four-year-old. And it's- um, <laughs> There's it's, a lot in just that sentence, right? I know. It's, it's, not, it's not a cheap whiskey, but man, yeah. it's freaking awesome. And you just very rarely see Alsburn outside of Germany because their production's small. 
and they've got very um, strong local following. Okay. People queue up around the block to at, at the distillery to get their limited edition releases. Really? So, um, you know, this is the first time. You don't think of Germany as a big whiskey drinking kind oh, of man, place. They love it. Think about it. They make incredible beer there. They've got like a lot of barley. Yeah, right. They're great brewers. They've got actually got a long tradition of distilling through making schnapps and you know, various yeah. eau de vie and liqueurs. So it was only a logical step that it would get into whiskey <laughs> at some point. Um, yeah, and Alsburn, for example, is the first whiskey um, that I could actually stump uh, Yao down to Lisi, and he'd never tried an Alsburn until I bought him a boutique Alsburn. Oh, so wow. It's like, that was like, yes. <laughs> that's got, a, got that's something those achievement. guys haven't yeah. tried. That's amazing. Um, but yeah, let's look at Character Viola Whiskey Company. I've got a bottle up here. I'm going to open up this one. All right. Let's open up this one because we may as well sort of start at the beginning here. Okay. So, yeah. Character Viola Whiskey Company. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> um, as the name might suggest, these are all Isla whiskeys. Um, they're all from unnamed distilleries. So we had to come up with some sort of naming convention for okay. them. We had to come up with a name and create a brand for them. Uh, this first one, Aerolite Lindsay, um, it's at 46%. It's a 10-year-old Isla single malt. It's a sessionable Isla is what I like to think of it right, as. Right, okay. This is the whiskey that I take when I'm fishing, when I'm camping. I drink it out of an enamel mug normally. And now you live up on the coast. You now do I live up on the coast. I do a lot of that. <laughs> uh, but Aerolite Lindsay is simply an anagram for 10-year-old Isla. Oh, look at that. Um, this we actually launched at Face Shield back in 2019. Cool. And the whiskey writer, David Broom, had a great uh, little soundbite that we used when we talked about this whiskey. Yeah. And he said, glasses, friends, throw the cork away. Okay. So that's, that's a, it's, a, like it's that. a sessionable Isla. And that's, glasses, that was the I, the idea there. But anyway, cheers. 10-year-old Isla. Can't tell you where it's from. Might be from the largest distillery on Isla. That right, gives okay. it away. Found in 1846. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? But, I, I wish I'd done a bit of whiskey research before I sat down. <laughs> but, I mean, the, you know the, I'm more of a generalist. <laughs> that's it. Look, the idea is we didn't want people to go pick this up and go, this is exactly where it's from. Yeah. So we put our own stamp on this whiskey. And Sam Simmons, a head of whiskey, who created this, uh, and it's won lots of awards as well. Yeah. He uh, chose 75% ex-bourbon cask. It then has uh, 20% of the casks are uh, um, Oloroso sherry casks, our quarter casks, or, yeah. or octaves that we use for darkness whiskey. And then we add a little bit of uh, character casks. We add a little bit of older whiskey from that distillery in there. Okay. And, um, yeah, it's just absolutely smashable Isla. It's not in-your-face Isla, is it? No. It's, yeah. it's designed so that the um, finish is actually quite short, makes it moorish. Okay. You're not like, you don't, it doesn't. I haven't, I haven't heard anyone say that about a short finish before. Well, it, it, rather, <laughs> rather than that sort of like real lingering tarry finish, it's it's a lot of it's kind of a little bit more up front. There's still plenty of finish there. Yeah, but you don't have that sort of burnt, smoky kind of note no. that's hanging around at the no. back. Yeah. We're not going down that sort of burnt rubber yeah. vibe there. Yeah, well, that's the, my only problem with Peter Whiskey and cocktails, right, is that that power, that smoke power just will Lingus, dominate everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, under the same range, I'll go through these real quickly and we'll definitely have a taste of this one. It's a bit special, so you might have to knock that back. Copy that. Uh, this is a 25-year-old uh, gray seal. Um, so we went again for a sort of uh, slightly feminine Not name. Not gray seal as in a 
in a, a harbour yeah. creature. Yeah, it is. Okay, That's right. actually the pun. So it's spelt it grace <laughs> and eel as in the, the Gaelic for gotcha. island. Okay. But it's actually uh, just a reference to the hook-nosed sea pig or the grey seals all around the island. So yeah. this is from an unnamed Isla distillery, 25 years old. So okay. trying to find 25-year-old Isla stock these days is incredibly hard. Okay. Um, and Isla is just surging in demand. So trying to find Isla of this age statement is just very, very difficult. Um, and it's rapidly going up in price. So this is a bit of a slice, I guess, of whiskey history that we're not going to see a lot of in the future unless you're paying like over a grand. Right. Sort of okay. so, and you're um, not going to give any clues to the actual place where it's from? Or? I, well, I can't tell you where it's from. <laughs> <laughs> look, and you I, look, say that, but we're but drinking whiskey. If, if we drink this, you can sort of narrow it down. Mm. So, and if we look at who was in production at those at, at that time, it's 25 years old, so it was distilled in the 90s. Yeah. What distilleries were still in operation and what were they making? Yeah, okay. It's too peaty to be um, Bunnahabhan yeah. from that era. Um, Brook Laddie was hardly in production at all yeah. during the 90s. It's too peaty to be that. They weren't doing Port Charlotte. They peated makes at that time, so it's not that. Yeah. It's too peaty to be um, Bamore. Yeah. So it narrows it down. Is it Kalila? Is it Ardbeg? Is it Lafroig? Yeah. You've got to try and, I guess, make your best educated guess. But I guess what's most important <laughs> is, is it delicious? It is delicious. I'll give you that. <laughs> Just, look, Isla whiskey at this age starts to get all those sort of tropical fruit flavors come out. You start mm. to see some of the elegance of the spirit. Yeah. The smoke starts to dissipate at this age. Still there. It's you still know there. it's heavily peated, but it's just mellowed so much. Yeah, I've got an idea of what I think it might be, but I think I'm probably wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not willing to put that on audio. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to put it down on tape. <laughs> um, yeah, and in the same- there was, there was a distillery you didn't mention when you mentioned distilleries before. Oh, no, I mentioned the distillery. Okay, right. <laughs> oh, I might have. Copy that. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is uh, another one in this range. Is this as like well. a, a game that you do when you host events or something? Is it? Oh like yeah, yeah. A, oh, hundred percent. A big quiz yeah. master kind of thing. But, but that's part of the fun is yeah. when you're when you're drinking um, independent bottlers and if it's unnamed, it's trying to guess where it's from, testing your palate. Yeah. And who cares if you're wrong? Because yeah. you know you can have two whiskeys from exactly the same distillery side by side, but you might never guess them. Yeah. Even someone from that sort of going, man, it could be this, but I'm just really not sure. Well, when you're wanting to surprise people as well, right? Yeah. So. That's it. That's the whole point of the boutique stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. That's so, delicious. yeah, we have a 10-year-old Eric Lindsay, 25-year-old Grey Seal. Uh, there's a 33-year-old Fiona McLeod. Um, that's from another unnamed Isla distillery. And this is all 1980s stock. So um, distilled in the 80s, um, going to be really hard-pressed to find Isla of that age statement anymore. Um, that's a, a wonderful dram. What, we, what are these are sort of landing out of bottle? Man, that is a good question. That <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I asked the sales guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, no, no, I proof, don't. Proof and Company, <laughs> these are really available through Proof and Company Direct. Yeah. Um, Light Lindsay is available through Paramount as well, so you can you can check out the price there on Paramount. Go. There you go. Um, but yeah, Gray Seal and Fiona McLeod, uh, you, know, you can make inquiries direct to, to Proof and Company for those. But we're looking at around an RRP of around 500 for the Gray Seal, yeah. and I believe 700 for the uh, Fiona McLeod. So all? for that age statement, um, still very, very approachable. Yeah. Um, and look, these are the, the stocks that we've got at the moment are the last stocks we're going to have. Uh, there were ambitions to make this a continuously available range uh, when we first launched this back in, in 2019 and 2020, but the world has changed. 
Yeah, okay. Um, Isla has absolutely accelerated in price and trying to get cars from Isla is really, the, really difficult. Why, now, why in particular? Uh, there's, there's, there's a lot of geopolitics involved. Uh, so a free trade agreements uh, um, uh, on the cards between the UK and India. Yeah, okay. Now, they love whiskey in India. Yeah. Uh, you can't go to an Indian wedding without there being a bottle of Johnny Walker on every table. Yeah. Key component of Johnny Walker, um, and they advertise this, of course, as Kalila. Yeah. Um, so that takes that off the cards. So a lot, right. of, a lot of those big distillers are holding back their stocks, um, not only for their own brands and, and sales in the UK and, and Europe and US, but also if, in, if that Indian market opens up, and they lower that tax, they're going to need that whiskey. But in general, there's a That's real, there's more independent bottlers around now than ever before. These bloody cask investors. So if you if you <laughs> if you're into whiskey on Instagram, you get a cask investment scheme come up every you know, <laughs> set, no second or so reel you go through. It's someone trying to sell you this is like like a, eighteen to twenty five percent returns, which is bollocks. Um, on, on, this is like on having cars. a share in a yacht or something, is it? That's yeah. kind of yeah. <laughs> so just there's lots more people going after the same parcels of stock that we are, and it's driving up the price right, okay. of casks. So look as. Uh, independent bottler, no, we, um, no, we're still going to keep bottling scotch, but we're also being more creative, like and looking at world whiskey yeah. because we don't want to be in a um, price war, um, no, bidding for casts that you know are going to end up in bottle you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars a bottle. Mm. So th th at the moment, the price of a cask is outweighing what that liquid can sell for in a bottle. Yeah. So there's a yeah. bit of a disconnect there. Um, we're just going to wait, wait it out patiently, wait for it to come back down. Well, this has been the history of the whiskey industry That's since it. forever, Boom right? Boom or bust, right? That's it. Boom or bust. So it's just about I'm whiskey. sure I've read a few McGraw articles about that back in the day. <laughs> Absolutely. So whis whiskey's a long game. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's it's an interesting game, uh, it, no, especially at the moment. There's a lot of pressures on independent bottlers. Um, we sell casks of whiskey to other independent bottlers as well. Yeah. Um, and we try and, and, and be as fair as possible. But, uh, you know, we will often pass on casks. Then someone will come back to us a couple of months later with that same cask and it's doubled in price. It's like, oh, really? Why didn't we buy it before? <laughs> so, yeah, it's interesting times in, in Scotch whiskey. But, um, yeah, we're lucky that we um, have these long relationships thanks to Master of Malt yeah. um, and, you know, get access to some really – Cracking whiskey. And so you said that you wanted these to be sort of permanent additions to the range. That's not been possible. It's not. Is, so are, you, are you guys looking at doing anything else that's going to be like a permanent core expression? Yeah. So obviously um, we do have some exciting news coming out with Boutique, um, which we'll can't announce yet. Oh, go um, on. But yeah, we we uh, we're looking at looking at a new range. Uh, with you know, there's like five people that listen to this. Yeah, right? true. <laughs> <laughs> You're one of them. <laughs> um, but yeah, we we will have some new news to share on Boutique. Um, yeah, might be looking at some continuous stuff with Boutique. Okay. Will whiskey blenders uh, continuously available? Yeah. Um, like Lindsay, we've got a bit of stock left. The Grey Seal and Fiona, we're down to the last uh, sort of supplies of that. Mm -hmm. um, what else? Oh, we've got Darkness, eight year old. As well, so darkness eight year olds. Yep. Um, this is a uh, sherry finished space side single malt from an unnamed distillery, <laughs> which I can't tell you is Ben Rennes. <laughs> Fuck, I to say that. I think you coughed there, did you? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, this uh, we call this darkness. It's not named after the darkness. Yeah. Okay. Um, although I, I mean, I it's got quite a like a. A rock and roll kind of label, aren't it? Yeah, well, I think we bit? were we were included actually in a rider. 
when they oh, played right. up in Brisbane, I think last year. So uh, Dean Glanville, the uh, proven company rep up there, actually managed to get into the rider for when the Darkness played. That's pretty good. Which is pretty cool. Uh, yeah, but Darkness, eight-year-olds, we call this Darkness because it's been naturally darkened through finishing in Sherry Octave casts. Okay. So we use little small 64-litre Sherry casts, Hank Cooper for us in Jerez in Spain, yeah. which naturally darkens the whiskey. I think we forget that a lot of big mainstream brands add a lot of caramel colouring um, and try and mislead people by making the whiskey Is that darker. something that you guys have a much of a practice in, adjusting the colour? We never adjust colour. Right. It doesn't mean to say if we had something It doesn't that was, necessarily make a whiskey worse, right? It doesn't necessarily make it. I think it can be misleading. Look, okay. also keep in mind we're not producing. You, you don't need you don't need consistency over the years in terms no, of colour. So no one cares. We don't yeah, sell yeah. enough whiskey for people to care about. Well, that. no, but that means probably one of the appeals, right? It is yeah. different year to year and different labelling. That's it. That's it. So yeah, naturally darkened. Yeah. Um, look, and it's not to say that we if something was delicious and someone had added colouring to it and we'd bought a parcel of whiskey that had had. Um, colouring added to it. Yeah. Doesn't mean to say we wouldn't bottle it. In fact, we've bottled some rum that was a pre-coloured mark. Uh, and so that actually added colouring uh, in, into the barrel when they aged it. Why? So it's a diamond distillery, it's a veil still. Uh, they actually uh, produce a mark. So oh, yeah, they well, make their pre color. Right now, I know, I know. <laughs> so, mate, what, what's still? <laughs> Unpack this for me, man. So, Diamond, Diamond Distillery, um, uh, which is uh, in, in, uh, in Guyana, yeah. they make uh, a few different marks of rum. So, okay. it's a, now a government owned distillery, and they have a number of different stills that they use. So, they've got the Enmore still, uh, the Versailles still. And the surveil still. Okay. So they've got these wooden pot stills and wooden column stills. Right. And this is the old Demerara. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. So these are these are marks to get used to make rum brands like El Dorado, for example. Gotcha. Now El Dorado will actually release single still varieties of the no and single marks right. of the of these rums from Diamond Distillery. And we had a a, a pre-coloured surveil still, which I believe is the wooden column. Yeah. Or my, anyway, it's, it's an old column still. It's the surveil still, and it's a pre-coloured mark. So they okay. actually already added colouring to it. Right. Um, that sounds interesting. That's, yeah, that's it is interesting. practice, right? But, but yeah, it's weird, but it's it's <laughs> delicious rum, so we bottle that. But, yeah, generally we would never add – we would never add when we haven't added colouring to anything um, yeah. when it comes to comes to whiskey. We don't chill filter, um, so back to darkness whiskey. Yeah. This is 47.8% ABV. Yeah, uh, which means that we don't need to chill, chill filter it. So if something's bottled at forty six or above, as a general rule, yeah, do, it won't be chill filtered. And and what's for people who don't know why that chill filtered thing is, it's because there, uh, this particular matter that comes out at a lower ABV, it comes out of suspension of the liquid or something. So yeah, so if you if you chill, I mean it's geeky stuff that no yeah. one really needs to know about. But <laughs> so I mean we we use we use like a. We do use a, a filter, but it's like a two micron filter would be the finest we go to. And it's basically to make sure that you don't have wood chips in your bottle. Um, right. So we will we'll filter it so you don't get stuff, no chunks in, in your bottle. Um, but we, uh, what a lot of big commercial distillers do is they'll pass it through um, chill filtration. So they, as the name suggests, they chill it down to about zero degrees and pass it through a real fine membrane filter. And yeah. that strips out a lot of um, you know, fatty acids yeah, um, that will um, potentially go cloudy once the whiskey is diluted below forty six percent. Right. Okay. So uh, the reason yeah. they do it again is for consistency. They you no, know, you don't want a bottle looking cloudy on shelf. 
Yeah. Uh, occasionally you will find bottles of boutique that uh, might have a slight haze to it, but there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, haze means we've left all the flavor in there. Yeah. Uh, but well, one way around it is to the bottle of high, higher proof. Yeah. Well, when it comes to spirits judging, though, you often look at the appearance, right? Yeah. And people, it gets marked down on whether it's like clear or not. Yeah. But I mean, but, I, but why? You know, I, I, why? I, I don't, I, to be honest, I don't know why there's ever any marks for appearance in these things ever. Everyone skips past appearance. Growing, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, what are you expecting? Oh my God, it's neon yellow. Like it's, <laughs> you're, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a color or something that's shocked me. Oh, well, I've seen, I've seen people mark things down because it wasn't lustrous enough color or something. It's like, what, yeah. what does that even mean? What yeah. if you're colorblind? Well, I mean, <laughs> I think one of the things that we really like to impress upon people, because especially as an independent bottler. We get lots of stuff in refill cask, right? Um, and, you know, the color of a whiskey has got nothing to do with flavor a lot no. of the time. Um, you know, a darker whiskey may have more flavor or may be colored, yeah. but you get the, the color of a whiskey, um, you can extract the color from uh, a cask in about 90 days. Right, okay. That's it. Then that's it. So yeah. the color doesn't mean something's more mature. Yeah, right. It might mean there's a more active cask. But something can be really dark and be tannic as anything. Yeah. Or it cannot, it's, it's, color is not a good indicator of flavor. Is it a good indicator of the, the number of times that cask has been used? Um, yeah, sure. But then <laughs> you don't know what size of cask they used. Or, right. Okay. You know, it's, it colors very misleading, is what, is what I would say. Right. Um, but one thing we do know, obviously, we've got a lot of insight with Master of Mold to what consumers like. Yeah. Darker whiskey sells, yeah. uh, for better or for worse. Is that sherry sherry, yeah. People sherry love, whiskey? Yeah, people love yeah. sherry. Sherried whiskey is certainly in growth. Why, why is that? In growth. Why, is it because of the color? It's those big, bold flavors, I, I think, tend to appeal to people. And certainly in Australia, um, we love very cask-forward whiskey. Yeah. We have a look at what the Australian whiskey industry is producing. Yeah. We, we tend to go for very cask-forward whiskeys. That's quite common practice. Yeah. Um, is, is that because sometimes, you know, maybe the spirit's not to a certain high standard or well, is it masking anything? Is you you know what? The, the reverse is actually true. Right. In Australia. Australia, we make incredible spirit. And most of these distilleries put a lot more effort than, you know, Scottish distilleries are 200 years old. Yeah. Uh, and the reason for that is, is that we're releasing younger spirit, right. which means that spirit needs to be of better quality before it goes into cask. Right. Often, though, we're pairing really good quality spirit with very, you know, hev no, with heavy cask influence. Yeah. And I think that's where there needs to be some adjustment is what we do in Australia. Um, so when, lighter on the cask influence, perhaps. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, the, a lot of what I'm really enjoying with Australian whiskey is, um, uh, you know, uh, bourbon cask. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Australian whiskeys are just incredible. Yeah. Um, we've got one from the Return to Oz series, the Launceston. It's a cast strength bourbon cask, Launceston. Mm -hmm. From yeah. Tassie um, uh, release, and that's just yeah, probably my my favourite yeah, whiskey right. release in the, in that series, uh, and it's bourbon cask. Gotcha. I, I think um, uh, no people like to go. Oh, look at how many casks I've used. I've used an Apera cask, <laughs> used a port cask. I've used a stout cask. There's yeah. six different cask types, and it's well, it, I, I, at, at some point you might be masking the spirit. Well, maybe it's, it's also like a, a mark of where the industry is still at. It's like maybe not having the confidence. To go, actually, no, this spirit's fantastic. It doesn't need all this other stuff going on. Yeah. You, know? uh, you said you had some rum. We do have some rum, yeah. 
It's, so about, we, it's about that time of the afternoon. It's about right? that time in the afternoon, yeah. yeah. We, should, a, we should mention we're here at Barobar before service. Yes. Yeah. So it feels appropriate to drink some rum now too. Look, absolutely. And we've had a few whiskeys now. <laughs> we need to get into some rum. They get a Bryson shout for having us. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, I've brought a couple of things along um, that I probably need to talk about. So, yeah, uh, yeah we started that particular rum company back in 2018. Okay. And uh, we- um, it's, a, it's easy to extend this brand this brand to pretty much any spirit, right? We have done brandy as well. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that was- Is there tequila or agave? No, in there, in I mean, oh, we were, like, we were, there were chats about doing agave, <laughs> but it's incredibly difficult. Um, Destillado de agave. Yeah, yeah. It's, there are people that are doing a great job of that. Uh, we have done some boutique brandy as well. As I said, we've got that Sullivan's Cove brandy in the yeah. Return to Oz series. Um, we've done some American brandies, apple brandies, and peach brandies. Is there any Aquavit coming anytime soon? No Aquavit no? coming. No. Okay. no. But look, the, 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 the rum is one that we have been doing for a while, and we do about four different outturns of boutique every year. Yeah. We do themed releases like the Return what, to What Oz. do you mean when you say outturns? Outturns is, is a product offering. So right. four times a year we release whiskey. Okay, like the product drop for the year as the kids correct, like to say. Correct, correct. Yeah. And we each outturn we probably do about 15 whiskeys and five rums okay, on cool. average. Right. And some of those will be themed releases that might be uh, Return to Oz and then we'll release some Scotch whiskey alongside that and some rum alongside that. Gotcha. So we, we're probably looking all up about 80 bottlings under boutique a year oh, across wow. um, the whiskey and rum. Now that might sound like a lot. It's a lot of different skews but each of these is made in very small batches mm. so we're talking about two three hundred bottles and that's the global release wow so a lot of what comes to australia will be a handful of cases yeah if, if we're lucky um so it is very small batch we're not just saying that it really is yeah um boutique rum company we started back in 2018 we teamed up with a guy called peter holland from the floating rum shack so he's our boutique rum ambassador and he's just an all-round good guy when it comes to rum. He's a lovely guy. Not to be um, confused with the, the bar owner of Frog's Hollow. No, <laughs> no, different, different Peter Holland. Who also did some work with rum back he in the did, day. He did, he did. And so we use a different artist as well. Um, okay. So we, these are a slight, slightly different art, artworks. Yeah, we use a couple of different artists for boutique We use a guy called Jim Will Paint It, um, Grace J. Ward. We use a couple of different artists for these. Cool. Uh, and I've got some pretty awesome stuff here. Um, I think we're going to start off actually with a Coroni. Okay. So we've got a couple of batches of Coroni available in Australia at the moment. Right. Coroni is a traditional column still rum yeah. uh, from Trinidad that closed down uh, in 2000, 2001. But it's it's like the Port Allen or okay. the Barora yeah, of okay. the rum world. So their stocks are becoming <laughs> vanishingly rare, as I might say, if I worked in marketing for Diageo. Um, <laughs> you know, but that it yeah. is it is like the kind of the holy grail of rum, especially if you like uh, like a heavy rum. Yeah, so gotcha. this is actually an HTR mark, which means heavy, mm. heavy Trinidadian rum is the mark of this Coroni. So this is this one here is our batch 12, 20 year old Coroni. Bottled at natural cast strength of 63.2. This actually spent some time in the Isla whiskey cask. Oh, really? Which is unusual. Oh, so 20-year-old Corona from unusual. a closed distillery. Some of the last stocks we'll have. This is a big, big boy. What, when you're saying it's a, a mark, what's, what's the terminology there? So every, uh, well, not every rum distillery, but most rum distilleries, especially in the Caribbean, yeah. um, the name of the distillery is not necessarily the name of the brand that they produce. Right. So they get contracted to produce various different styles or marks gotcha. to bulk supply blenders of rum. Most right. of the rum that we buy is blended if we're looking at rum brands. Yeah. Um, if you're buying a rum brand, it's not necessarily named after the distillery. El Dorado is a brand. Yeah. 
to get most of their rum from Diamond Distillery, yeah. who produces various different styles of marks right. that are then blended to create your product. With Boutique Rum, we want to bottle, uh, you know, rums. We want to be really transparent about what we bottle. Uh, we never add any dosage, so no sugar added. We try and be really transparent about the whole process behind that rum. It might not all be on the bottle, but if there's ever any information missing, we can tell you about it. And where's it aged? Is it aged in country where it's distilled or is it aged in, in somewhere so in Europe? That's an interesting or? question because, I mean, there's a long history of rum being transported to the UK. Yeah. Um, so generally our boutique rums will be a, uh, uh, no, they'll have uh, tropical aging and European aging as well, or UK aging. Right. So uh, that's quite common for our boutique rums. Most, yeah. most of our rums will have at least some aging in the UK or Europe because yeah. that's where you're buying off brokers in the UK and Europe, not necessarily directly gotcha. from the Caribbean. Yeah. Uh, but we are very transparent about that. Um, more and more, um, uh, the Caribbean distilleries are trying to stand up for themselves and say, you can't use the name of our distillery unless it's been aged in country. Which and is we, similar to Scotch whiskey. Exactly. And yeah. we, we wholly support that. So if we're not allowed to name the distillery, we won't. So I've got right. here, for example, we've got a secret distillery, number one, from Jamaica. Jamaica. Okay. So we can't tell you where this is from, but we do actually have the type of mark it is. So this is a C Diamond H mark which can only come from one distillery. Okay, right. So it does kind of give it away, but we, we don't- But you're not trading on the country of origin per no, se for that? No. no. Okay. We try and be very transparent about it. Um, do, do they have like Appalachian kind of rules in Jamaica yet, or they're looking to do it? Is the, that it? Yeah, a lot of, they are looking to do that, yeah. 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 Barbados in particular are looking at doing it. Yeah. Um, look, I, I'm by no means a rum uh, expert, but I, yeah, I do love the boutique rums that we're producing because they have no sugar added- yeah. Uh, the real kind of sort of whiskey uh, drinkers rums. Yes. Uh, and if, you, if you're into a big Isla whiskey, then something like a Caroni yeah. is just the ultimate, Spe especially because it's being finished in, in Isla whiskey. I got something floral off that as well. I'm not sure oh. what is going on there, but it's oh, delicious. It's tarry, it's smoky, but it's like black but it's currant. 63% or something? Yeah, this one is natural cast strength, 63.2. It doesn't feel anywhere near that. I know. It's very slurpable, 63%. Yeah, rum. very dangerous. <laughs> very dangerous. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. very good. And just, yeah, a bit of a holy grail of, uh, of rums out there. So if, you, you know, if you're into collecting rum, uh, your rum collection is really not complete unless you have a Caroni in there. Copy probably. that. Um, what else we got here? I've got uh, um, Dasa. So this is Guatemalan rum, a multi-column still rum from a single distillery. So before we get on to that, I'm yeah. just going to ask you a cocktail suggestion on everything. I'm, I'm sure it's not cheap, but it's not. if you're going to chuck, <laughs> chuck it in, into one sort of rum classic, where would you chuck it? Oh, man. Oh, man. Come on, we've got to get your cocktail skills back, you know? Well, look, look uh, that, that uh, Corona, I mean, this sounds sacrilegious, but I'd, I'd go in treacle. <laughs> It'd be, no way, yeah. yeah it'd be, it'd be yeah, the most expensive treacle you've ever bought. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Very good. Uh, no, this Jamaican rum here, Secret Story Jamaican, man, a bit of that in a zombie. Like oh, we've got a zombie on the label, We've got right? Frankenstein on the label. Okay, right, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, a bit of that in a zombie or any sort of, like, tiki classic, uh, even a dash of that in a Mai Tai will come through amazingly. The C Diamond H Mark is one of the highest ester marks you can get. Okay. So that is literally, it's mostly used as a rum flavoring. Right. So you add a dash of that into a blend, it gives it that real punchy. Well, because there's that whole flavor. style of German rum, right? Where it's, yeah. it's well, German rum in inverted commas. Yeah. But they use this really high estuary kind of rum and to add flavor. That would likely come from, what is Ham probably likely come from Hampton. Yeah. Right. 
Um, and yeah, this uh, no, th that's what these sorts of marks are created for. They're not generally designed to be drunk by themselves, right. unless you're a massive rum nerd, <laughs> in which case you you know you want to sort of seek out a bottle of this. Um, the Dasa here, man, this like rum old fashioned, yeah. rum Manhattan, yeah. like that's the sort of vibe there. It's um, it's a, just that little bit lighter, a little bit sweeter. Obviously, more of that sort of uh, Spanish style uh, gotcha. rum as well. And where's that one from? So that's from Guatemala. So okay. obviously famous for brands like Zacapa. Yeah. Uh, a label actually features the town Quetzaltenango, okay. uh, which is the uh, no, the place of the Quetzal bird. Uh, and we've got on there a, um, I'm not going to get this right, but it's a Quetzalcoatl, which is That's a, not bad, I think. a uh, yeah. Guatemalan feathered dragon. Okay. So this was aged for four years, 2,300 meters above sea level. Uh, not far from Quetzaltenango, uh, right. the city that's uh, quite high altitude. 2,300 meters closer to the stars. That's yeah. right. <laughs> and then it's had uh, another 10 years of maturation in the UK. Interesting. It's been part of its life over there. So 10 years yeah. in the UK, wow. Yeah, 10, I mean, as I said, there's a lot of rum goes to the UK yeah. and Europe. And uh, you know, we buy from brokers off there. Mm. Um, but yeah, we try and be very transparent about that aging. Um, and you know, we'll, we'll call out um, you know, the split of aging where we can. Yeah. Where, where does uh, terroir come into this sort of stuff when you are doing aging here and there? Is it a big deal in spirits? Oh, look, it is. Like it can be, it, depending on the marketing yeah. department, I think. Exactly. <laughs> I think terroir and spirits is a very complicated conversation and it's one that I often have with people at 3 a.m. <laughs> and they get, they, they. Well, we uh, are at Baraba. Exactly. So, yeah. Bar is the sort of place I'd definitely have that conversation. Yeah. And uh, very quickly I'd find to have the bar by myself. Yeah. Um, but I mean, for, for this, for example, this secret Jamaican is a 15 year old, uh, no, cash and Jamaican rum. If they had spent 15 years in the tropics, it would be undrinkable almost. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, you know, sometimes that cooler aging, that continental aging yeah. uh, has, has a benefit. Um, but yeah, I think it, it age, age in rum in particular can be quite misleading because tropical aging is vastly different from aging in the, in the UK. Yeah. Um, so where you age something does have a, a, a massive impact on the, on the final products. And often too with rums, it's not the minimum age when you're having an age statement on a bottle, right? It's often yeah. a mix of, it might be the average age or well, I mean, it might be the, the exactly. oldest thing that they Especially if you're looking at rums that use that Solera process. Yeah. Um, and so, no, this Guatemalan rum, this Darsa, would typically go into Solera style products. Right. So we've just, this is like a, a single cask version of that. Okay. Where the 14 years is, is the youngest right. liquid in here. So we try and be very transparent with the boutique well, rums that's as well. I anyone wants, right? It's just to have the information available. Yeah. Probably got the uh, longest podcast I've ever done because <laughs> it's you and me sitting down talking about booze. Uh, yeah, look, are, as you said, I think we could have kept on going for a while with this. Um, Barabo is setting up for service. Yeah. As you can hear in the background. You can hear, hear some ice going into the wells. It's yeah. a good sign. Look, uh, I, I think, as you know, we're probably going to continue uh, long after the, we, we stop recording. Um, <laughs> That'll be a podcast just for you and me. Yeah, I think my day is done now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, I've got one last uh, rum I'd like you to try from the Diggy Rum Company. Yeah. Uh, this is one I actually bought off Master of Malt. Like, it's not come to Australia, unfortunately. It was really popular. Oh, we right. didn't get any allocation. And I just love this, so I had to buy it. It's a, um, yeah, 15-year-old uh, secret distillery Jamaican rum. It's from our cinema series. It's each of the labels that we did for the series yeah. um, refers or references a, uh, a different cinematic 
uh, experience, okay. I guess. So uh, obviously we've got here uh, Frankenstein on the label. Yeah. And this is a monster of a rum. So it's a 15 year old secret Jamaican. Is this the one where you embarrass me? Yeah, that's <laughs> like, it. Yeah. Can you take this rum, Sam? That's, that's pretty much it. So this is a 15 year old Sea Diamond H Mark Holy secret shit. distillery Jamaican rum. First batch we've done. Pot still rum, single distillery. One of those high ester marks. It's, it's quite high ester mark. Quite right? high, yeah. yeah. This, uh, this is the second highest it's ester like, mark that this distillery produces. It's. I reckon I'd be hard pressed to call this a rum if I just had it in a blind tasting. Just is that kind of fruity on. Look, I, I just had to buy this. I, I, I tried it and it was almost getting high no, nosing it. Yeah. It's like, you know, what am I sniffing there? But. Is that acetate, acetone, burnt rubber, like. I'm not getting a lot of acetone, but I'm getting Plasticine. Like, maybe notes. You know what? Oh, there's a I'm getting like sort of Southeast Asian tropical fruit vibes out Oh, yeah, massively, yeah, yeah. massively. That comes through as well, for sure. Oh, then there's a point where you'd be like, hang on, is this mezcal? <laughs> yeah, is, am I, yeah, yeah, am I yeah. drinking mezcal? Yeah. Am I drinking baiju? <laughs> like. It's just, it's just such, a, a, such a, such a trip. The oh, spirit, I, I love it. I haven't tasted it yet. How much acid is there on the palate? Like it's very baiju like, almost like overripe pineapple, juicy. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like that. That nose is so intense, and on the palate, it's go well. It's actually it's quite a little refined. funky on the palate too. Still, still, definitely some fun. There's <laughs> no small amount of funk in this. But yeah, I thought that was a that's bit of very, fun. That's very cool. I can, yeah, I can this, honestly say I've never tried anything quite like that. Yeah, yeah. And look, this is something I love to bring out. Um, I took this along to Oak Barrel Whiskey Fair, and I busted this out for a few nerds at the end. Just <laughs> you, you spend all day drinking oh. whiskey, having someone like this is just yeah. Blows everything else out of the water. Just it's just so big. It's like a pineapple dessert thing at the end. It's but it's bizarre, right? It's very cool, very cool. Well, it, cheers. It goes on forever too. Oh yeah. Well, no, I'm not done because there's, one, done. there's okay, one more okay. question I always ask oh, right, right. on the podcast, and yeah. it's uh, <laughs> Simon McGorham. Yeah. Uh, you've written about bars. You've owned bars. You've worked in bars. You sell to bars. What makes you happiest in a bar? What makes well, actually what makes a great bar to you? But then, what makes you happy in a bar? Because I think sometimes they're two different things. Oh, look, hundred um, percent. Look for me, it is hundred percent all about the vibe. So, what I mean by that is, I want to go in there and feel immediately welcomed. I just I want I want to have a good time. Um, like there are bars out there that make excellent drinks, that have very serious drinks programs, and do amazing stuff. Mm. I would never hope to be able to replicate. Yeah. But if I'm not having fun there. Yeah. If there's no vibe, yeah. then it's it's not for me. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and that's the thing that's most important. And I think, uh, no, hope that most people try and offer a good balance of not only excellent product, yeah. uh, but just make people are there to have fun. Yeah. I think that's the most important thing about a bar is that's got to be fun. And where there's that, that fun scale is the, vi the vibe check, right? That's, that's really important <laughs> for me. Yeah. Well, I think that we went through this period, right, where bartenders got very serious to sort of uh, – express their bona fides as, you know, we take this as seriously yeah. as a profession. Yeah. It's a real job to do. Yeah. Uh, and then it got really fucking boring really quickly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you were sitting on the wrong side That's of that. it. There's, there's got to be a balance. You can do both. You can you know, do you both. Look at Ryan Shader Waterman, right? One yeah. of the smartest guys in the business. Yeah. And he's all about having fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so important. It's never lose sight of that, that people have come to spend their hard earned 
make sure they're having fun. Yeah. Lovely. Well, thanks for joining me on Drinks at Work. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Great to be here. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you to Simon for the chat and thank you to you for listening. As always, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, give the podcast a rating and share it with a friend or a colleague. Until next time, this has been Drinks at Work from Boothby.